today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Probably one of the most powerful verses that you read in almost the entire Old Testament. Because that comes back to the reality, gang, that our salvation is based not on works, but on belief and on faith faith in what God has already done, that we can depend upon Him. We can depend upon His promises, and we can lay our lives before Him. God has made promises to you in the Bible. The words may have been written long ago, but they're just as true today as they were then. In Pastor David's message today, you'll meet Abraham, a man who was given a great challenge and an even greater promise, and had to step forward in faith that God would keep his end of the bargain. God did, and Abraham was blessed, even though he made mistakes along the way. The promises God makes will be kept, and you can claim them in your life as well. Now here's Pastor David in Genesis chapter 12 with his continuing study through the book of Genesis. I introduced to you the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's the other word that we call for those first five books? The Pentateuch, that's correct. Now, we looked last week, remember we covered chapters 1 through 11, and we did not zoom through it because I wanted to give you a really, really strong foundation in those first few chapters. Because again, if you don't get those first few chapters of Genesis right, you're going to be messed up in your full understanding of the Word of God. You're going to be messed up in your understanding of who God is and the power and the might of God. So from last week, we covered 11 verses. Guess what? This week, we're going to cover 39 verses. Okay. So as I said, get in, hold on, and get ready to go. Genesis 12 through 50. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the story of the patriarchs. First of all, we have Adam. In the beginning, again, God created Adam. You need to understand, Adam lived for 930 years. We read that in those early chapters of Genesis. Did you understand or do you know that while Adam was still alive, before Adam died, Enoch, Methuselah, and Lamech were all alive at the same time. Now, one of the things that we understand, Lamech was Noah's father. So Adam was alive for a long time there, just before the time of Noah. 
Now we move on over to the time of Noah. If you take the dates of Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 11, where the Lord gives us in the writings of those chapters the ages of these men and the ages that they were when they had that child, those sons, and then the ages of their death, we can easily calculate from the time of Adam until the flood was 1,656 years. And again, as we look at that, we understand, man, there's a whole lot that's going on during that time. Right after the flood, we have the Tower of Babel. So how long did Noah live? Noah actually lived for 950 years. He was 600 at the time of the flood, and he lived for 350 years after that. Now, that's hard for us to comprehend how and why people can live that long, but you need to understand the earth was not corrupt as it is now. It did not have all the problems that it does now. The purity of the air, the purity of the entire environment, the gene pool itself, the ability for man to live that long. Now, Noah lived for 350 years after the flood. Guess what? Just after Noah passed away, in fact, two years after Noah died, Abram was born. That's how close all of this is. Not until we put it on a chart and really look at this do we really comprehend that, again, through the oral tradition of passing on vocally from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, and these guys are still alive, so they're going to correct you if you're wrong. And so, again, that oral tradition continues on, and it's verified, it's, it's detailed enough for us to be able to have what we have with us here. And so now we look and we start moving into these later chapters. Abram is now born, and then we move on to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So how does that all fit together? Well, again, Abram lived for 170 five years. How old was he when he had Isaac, church? 100. So he lived 75 years after that. His son Isaac lived for 180 years. Isaac's son then came along. Jacob lived for 147 years. And then at the very, uh, after that, Joseph came along. And that's where we're going to be. That's how much we're going to cover tonight. And I know that that's a lot to cover, but I want you to see that during the life of Abram, not only was Isaac born, but Abram was alive even when Jacob was born. Isaac was still alive when Joseph was born. And so we see all of these things tying together. So let's move on as we get into this section of scripture. Hopefully you got your Bibles with us. Turn to chapter 12. That's where we're going to be starting. In chapter 12, we read in those first few verses, and again, there's no way in the world we're going to read all the verses of all of these chapters, but there are verses that I do want to bring out to you to, again, draw your attention to it. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you realize that that's a messianic promise 
that God is making through Abram at that point. And this is just right at the very beginning. Now his father, it was Terah that was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and they made it down to the land of Haran. You can see that in the end of uh, chapter 11. God told Abram, he says, get out, go to, and I will bless you. That was a call on Abram's life. And he also said, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. We move on from there, verses 10 through 20. We find out that even though Abram came down to the area of Canaan, a famine came through the area. We will see that a couple of times as we go through Genesis. Abram then took Sarai and Lot and their family and went on down to Egypt, stayed there for a while. Sarah was such a knockout babe that Abram lied to the Pharaoh and to all of his people because he knew, he says, if I bring you down there, Pharaoh or all of his army or whatever, they're going to see how nice looking you are. They're going to kill me so they can have you. So Abram and the great man that he was, great leader of his family, great, you know, strength guy, he said, just tell him you're my sister. Nice guy, huh, ladies? So again, we look at this and so they're down there for a while. Then again, Lord reveals to Pharaoh that uh, she's not his sister. Uh, Pharaoh says, hey, you need to get out of here because you've messed me up. Why in the world would you do this to me this way? And so Abram later goes on back up into Canaan. Now we get to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we find that the herdsmen of both Lot and Abram, they're having all kinds of problems. The area that they're at as their herds grew, there seemed to be battles over the good lands, over the bad lands. And so finally, uh, Abram, he had had it with the strife. He was a man of peace. And so he told Lot, you choose out where you want to go. And it's interesting there in verse 10. Look at verse 10 in chapter 13. Actually, back up to verse 8. Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me or between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And listen to what he says in verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And of course, then there's a little footnote that says, that was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a beautiful area, very plush at that point in time. So Lot took his herdsmen and his family and all of his herds down into that area, not paying attention or not caring about the situation of what Sodom and Gomorrah was. You would not have to live long in that area to understand what was going on in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Probably every merchant traveling through, every caravan going through, knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, then the Lord told Abraham, down in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, he said, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise and walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. 
Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He gave thanks and praise to God for what God was doing in his life, caring for him, watching out for him, providing for him the blessing and the promise that God had given him right there in the promise that we just read. When we get a little bit further into now chapter 14, we read about the activities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that there's a big battle that goes on. There's actually four kings that go against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and three other kings, four against five. These four kings actually take captive the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, including Lot and all of his family. Once Abram hears about that, the word tells us that Abram had 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and they went out to pursue them. And Abram and his servants actually defeated these four other kings. And when you look down in verse 16, Abram brought back all the goods, also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. It's kind of interesting in the mix of this, as Abram came back, the thing that we find that he first does, he is met by Melchizedek down in chapter 13. Now Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace, again, has no beginning, has no end. We don't know anything about Melchizedek other than suddenly he is here. And in the midst of this, he blesses Abram there in verse 19. And he said, blessed be Abram of God most high possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Abram received the blessing from Melchizedek. We're not going to go deep into that, but it's interesting to also note that at that point in time, as we read there in the end of verse 20, that Abram gave a tithe of all he had to Melchizedek. Now that's long before the law. It was the law that came to the children of Israel that said, you need to tithe on this amount and this amount. You need to give offerings on this amount and this amount. So it seemed to be an understanding, just a understanding that when God blesses you, you bless him back with that. And it's always interesting to me as a pastor when people really struggle about that. Because, and I believe that the greatest problem that most have with, again, the stewardship of their finances is the lack of trust of God. Beloved, it has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of money you make or you don't make. It has everything to do in your absolute trust in who God is and what God can do. Well, we move on from there. We find out that the king of Salem comes up and he wants to bless Abram. And he says, hey, I want you to take all the goods and everything that you got. Thanks for fighting for us. But Abram comes back and in verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten, the portion of the men who went with me, and there, Eskel and Mamre, let them take their portion." Abram said, my trust is wholly and completely in the God most high. I don't have to depend on anyone else because I know that God is leading and God is providing. 
When we get over to chapter 15, at the very beginning, verses 1 through 21, the Lord's blessing and the covenant, and Abram is believing God for that. And again, the Lord told Abram there in the first couple of verses, uh, he says, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. And then Abram gets into this discussion. God says, well, I don't have any children. How are you going to bless me? How are my descendants going to increase? I don't have any children. All I have is Eleazar, the man from Damascus. And again, is he the one that the blessing is going to go through? And the Lord told him, no, that's not the one. Look down in verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, this one, Eleazar of Damascus, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look now toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able to number them. And God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Probably one of the most powerful verses that you read in almost the entire Old Testament. Because that comes back to the reality, gang, that our salvation is based not on works, but on belief and on faith. Faith in what God has already done, that we can depend upon him. We can depend upon his promises. And we can lay our lives before him. Abram believed in the Lord and the Lord accounted to him for righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that Abram has all the answers and that there's no doubting someplace in how all this is going to work. As a matter of fact, down in verse 8, Abram said, Oh, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Uh, you know, on one hand, I'm thinking, well, that's when the Lord says, Because I said so. Uh, you know, the parent comes out at me. But God is a much more loving heavenly father than I am as an earthly father. And so what takes place next is the covenant agreement where God is going to, again, lay the sacrificial animals out with a path going between them. These animals are cut in half, laid aside. And in a normal Middle Eastern style, the two that were making a covenantal agreement would walk side by side down where those slain animals are, and they would in essence state, thus should the Lord do to either one of us if either one of us break this covenant. So in other words, may God slay me if I break this covenant. But you know what? God didn't call for Abram to go down that aisle because he knew Abram couldn't handle it. He knew Abram would break it, just like you, just like I would break it. God was the one who went down that line. And at the end of that, we see the Lord speaking there to Abram down in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here from the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven 
and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the Nile River, the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenanites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. He's telling Abram, all of this land and all of these people are yours. Think now how much Israel does not have. And what's the big argument in Israel or in the Middle East? Well, if Israel would just give us a little more land, there would be peace. Israel has given and given and given and given and given, and there is still no peace. Why? Because it's not land that they want. They want the destruction of the promise of God. They want the destruction of Israel. Well, let's move on, otherwise you'll never get through all of this. In chapter 16, we read the situation where Abram himself, he believes God, but then he tries to do the work himself. I've got a plan, God. Actually, it's Sarah that has a plan. Sarah comes to Abram and says, God has promised a child and I'm barren. Why don't you take my handmaid, Hagar, and look with me, if you would, at the very end of verse 2. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Gentlemen, my suggestion to you, you need to heed the voice of your wife. Unless she is directing you opposite of what God has told you. God has called you to be two flesh. She is your helpmate. She is a sister in the Lord. There is so much that she discerns that you don't, just simply the way that God has made her. And I guarantee you, if we don't heed, again, the voice of our wives, and our wives, yes, ought to heed the voice of their husbands. It goes both ways. Understand that. But the thing is, is if the wife is speaking something different than what the Lord has directly told, as he has directly told Abram, then I guarantee you, you will get in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Hagar had a child, and as soon as she had the child, she began to, again, despise Sarai. And Sarai saw that in her handmaid. She recognized that, and it just tore up the heart of Sarai. And again, it brought discord within the camp. And so Sarai, again, she dealt down in verse 6, the last of it. Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, and she fled from her presence. But God wasn't finished with Hagar yet. God comes to her and says, where are you going, Hagar? She says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself to her hand, And then the angel of the Lord gave her a promise. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And so in other words, your descendants are going to be so great, they won't be able to count them. And that's true because the descendants of Ishmael, they again are all over the world at this point in time to the point of being innumerable.
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.